Ethan, is it creepy when adults ask for your gamer tag? No, it just depends on the adult. Really? I mean, yeah. I, I would feel so weird asking a teenager, hey, how do I find you on Xbox Live or whatever? I don't know. It depends if they're like good at the game or whatever. That, that's it? That's really the criterion? I mean, yeah, because yeah, if they're better at the game, I feel better about just, you know, if it's adults that I know, give them my gamer tag, play some Siege. Well, I mean, if, if the coronavirus keeps on going and if the quarantine actually happens, then uh, that, that really might be what's left of actual human community. What can we find over uh, internet gaming? That, that could be it. I mean, that's what I've been doing. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. You've been, you've been building community, building friendship left and right, all no, while increasing I've, I've your kill playing, rate. I've been playing so much Siege, and I've been watching Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden debate each other. Oh, that's, my, that's my break so far. Well, it, it, oh my goodness. They spent two hours saying almost nothing. The beginning was the most interesting part. I, when they were starting with coronavirus, that was just, I, w I knew it was going to happen. I was really excited to see what they were going to say. Uh, it was kind of nuts because I think about half of what they had to say has since been fulfilled in France, at least. Yeah. And I think Spain is right behind them. But uh, socialist uh, President Macron announced yesterday that no business will be allowed to fail in France, and which is what <laughs> both of them wanted. There were some funny moments during that debate, too. I, I just can't wait to get into it. Oh, uh, that's right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a special episode of What's the Res? My name is Josh Herring. My name is Ethan Delves. And today, uh, the uh, our regular conversation about the current resolution of World of High School debate is on hold because, at least uh, as far as we can tell, the World of High School debate is currently on on hold. Uh, it, it, the, I, I've been trying to use the verb corona as much as possible, and the high school debates uh, postseason competition has officially been coronaed until the uh, until the e platforms are tested and developed. And get this, get this. What's the res just got a like on one of our photos by the account called Lockdown Corona? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, we're famous. We've now. been legitimized. <laughs> I did tag Corona in that picture of this uh, our, our our setting here. <laughs> so this so one person named Lockdown Corona is just going liking all does, the hashtags. Does Instagram have a, have bots like? I we, they, Instagram definitely has bots, but I whoever made been, this whoever made this account name could sell it for so much money. Right? It probably could. I mean, we we've been liked by several random bots on Twitter. So anyway. Yeah. Um, Rather than focusing on uh, the ETOC, or uh, I know um, Georgetown University is trying out the first version of an online tournament, uh, today we're going to focus on the most recent national debate, and that is finally, finally, the DNC presidential nominees are yes. down to two, and we can have something resembling a real debate rather than this garbage of having 14 people on stage and calling that a debate. It, the one I tried to watch a couple weeks ago was nothing but a shouting match, and that only had five. But now we have two, and it seemed like an actual debate. It, it was more of an actual debate than we've had so far, even though I really enjoyed the first Democratic debate, the very, very first one between, like, 20 people. 20 people, and then we had the second one that other night, but the first was one was 10 great. people the first night and 10 people the yeah. second night, and somehow they were all supposed to go against each other, but... Yeah, the, the first round there was so much more interesting. But you know, like Grand Cross and PF. It's just like Grand Cross gone wrong. <laughs> like ten people, and everyone's a, against each other. There's no partner. Well, I guess there are like sort of partnerships. In a way. Sort of. I mean, everybody wants to be friends with Bernie because Bernie has the most radical ideas, and yet they don't want to be Bernie. They just want to agree with some of Bernie's policies and. But then, like we saw in this last debate, they have a lot of trouble showing how they're actually different from Bernie, but they all want Bernie's voters. And I see you actually tried to flow it, too. I gave up flowing before the debate even started. I, I'm like, look, I'm just going to take notes on time increments. Nobody's going for any actual points. We're just 
we're just I, writing down what people say. It's, yep, it's I, I got actual. yeah. Uh, I, I it started in the first segment. I mean, I tried to flow their responses to each other. I, I've sort of developed this flow when I'm trying to flow con- congressional debate, okay. which is hideously difficult to flow. But uh, I just kind of do it in columns, and I draw arrows when there's at least somewhat of a legitimate response. But I I gave up too pretty quick and just yeah. got like general content. So. I, I suppose we didn't really talk about this beforehand, but I suppose the easiest way to do this is just by topic area. Topic, yeah, just like last time, to go yep. by topic area. Okay, so uh, we we started with COVID nineteen, and the first question uh, was uh, I, I got down as some version of what do you say to those who are in this new reality of the COVID nineteen days? Yeah, and what would you do? That that was the main question. That's right. What would you do if handed the coronavirus situation? And we got as two, president, if as you were president, president right yeah. now, what would you do? So. Ethan, take it away. What, what, what did you observe in their responses? This is a common thread throughout the entire debate. Biden gives a specific answer, and Sanders gives a very abstract answer that somehow connects to everything he's been saying for his campaign the oh, whole time. Oh, Medicare for all. Yes. Everything is about <laughs> Wait, Medicare no, for that all. That was it. That was it. So Biden, look, Biden came out. Oh, with you asked me about very... ISIS. It's really about Medicare for all. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I you know Anderson's been taking voice samples from all the what's he he coded his own software. He has about three thousand files of you saying random words, and he's gonna get that Medicare for all. <laughs> he Obviously, probably is. He's that's gonna be great. I'm gonna tell Anderson, him. Anderson, I fully give consent to this project. If you if you can, but obviously you didn't care about that. But just in case, you you have permission to do that. Okay, Biden comes out with a very practical solution. Some of which has already been done as of like yesterday, where he's like, we need to help people pay their mortgages, and we need to have zero percent rates for mm-hmm. for loans, which we now have 0% rates. The Fed finally cut it to 0%. Um, so that's pretty significant. Zero or nearly zero? zero. I'm not sure it's what the completely re- zero. It's completely zero. Yeah, okay. Now it's 100% zero. So literally the, the banks, loans. banks will loan you money and you will just pay the same amount back. And that's his idea of the national emergency that we have Which, now. just so we're clear, is not, as far as I'm aware, that's not available to individuals. There are specific kinds of companies that can't apply for those. But those are also include mortgage loans, which would be for individuals. Yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd, I think that, so. I'd, 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 I'd want to go check on that because I'm pretty sure I can't go buy a house on an interest. Well, why would you loan. want to? Because you still have to pay all that money back. There's no well, interest. I know, but like if if I was if if what you just said was correct, and I was a scheming person, which I will freely admit that I will, be, I'm the scheming person who will think about how can people abuse this new system. Uh, I mean, I would totally go. I'd go take out a million dollars in interest-free loans. I would then go buy a million dollars worth of property, and I'd sign the papers as fast as possible, so that in three to six months, whenever this is now over, uh, I'm going to sell that property for however much it has increased in value. Okay. And so, even if it's not for individuals, the the idea there it, that's exactly right. what the government wants you to do. They want you to buy things, and they want whoever who takes these loans to buy things. The economy's in big trouble. For some reason today in the stock market, we're seeing food and drugs bounce, and it's probably because they're hiring a ton of people because now they have supply. And well, and that's, that's supply when chain. everybody's at home with nothing else to do. They do want to eat, and they want to make sure they have enough medicine. Yes, so. and Uber Eats also has no delivery fees for small businesses now, so go eat and support the small businesses. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get some empanadas today. And in the empanada factory for my dad, if I go to my dad's house today, it's 40 minutes away. Don't care because there's no delivery fees. So that person's going to drive 40 minutes and bring me some empanadas. Now, which, just for the record, even though that was done with the best of intentions, uh, what you just described is the exact reason why economic principles are still going to be operating in this new climate. Because given the lack of price controls, people are going to abuse those sort of things. So if you order something from 40 minutes away, yep. that the guy who is doing that is going to take an economic hit 
or his company is going to take an his economic company is taking the economic yeah. hit. He's going to be Uber Eats money. is going and Uber Eats already uh, Uber already operates at a loss. They are they're in, operating at a loss right now. For so sure. and yeah. that that's only going to increase, which eventually will either mean they have to get more investment mm-hmm. or they will collapse. They're also the employees are rallying to be, still be paid. They, the thing is, like Uber looks at their employees quotes as contractors because you sign up for right. Uber Eats account, you bring people food, but they want to be treated like employees so that if you're scheduled, you'll still get paid. And it's this whole discrepancy now so those people are still getting paid uber's operating at a loss for the for the betterment of the whole economy as a whole i guess so that small businesses can keep making money those will still be on the uber Eats platform right, when it right. gets better but that's that kind of got off track it that's did. biden's solution <laughs> okay, is yes, we need we it. need zero percent interest rates so it finally happened right after that debate yep. fed cut to zero we need to help people pay mortgages he said we need temporary hospitals just like we did during the N one H one virus. Now those so, were, he he wanted those to be built by the Department of Defense. No, it was the H one N one, but he said N one H one, which I thought was funny because he always has small slip ups like that. He I'm does, but did you him. notice there was one moment in this? Um, it was much later in the debate where Bernie had a slip up and Joe had the biggest smile. Bernie talked about uh, how uh, he got, he got confused between whether Bush did something or or Obama did something, Uh-oh. and he named Bush during the Obama administration. And Joe was like, "Bush, you're talking about Bush there," and he's got this big old smile. Oh, he's like, "Ha ha, Bernie messed up. Wasn't me this time. It was Bernie." That's funny. They're always coming for each other with the smallest things like that. And I thought the funniest thing is when they're debating over like who voted in favor of what back then and how that changes now. That's a whole – I have a feeling you have a lot to say about that because I see a look on your face. Well, the big thing there, I'm just like, voters today do not care. I don't think anyone is going to make their decision about Biden versus Bernie based on who voted what. And who remembers? Well, these guys do because well, they're both in their 70s. Yeah. I mean, yeah. which, for starters, can we talk about the fact that our choices for the Democratic nominee and not that – I, I mean, I, I'm I'm registered independent, and I I have enough con- I have a lot of convictions that I've, if you've listened to the show ever before, you know I would never vote for Bernie or for Biden. But regardless, the DNC, which touts itself as the progressive party, is running two old white men who both have a savior complex. They both believe that they, at the head of the government, can fix all of our problems. That's the DNC's solution here. Like that just boggles my mind. Yeah, I mean, everyone who runs for office thinks they could fix at least some things, if not all things. It's like it's like a, a whole nobility, no, noble goal type thing. Um, and I think Bernie is the main one to, to say that, because Biden's looking at a lot of short-term fixes. He's like, okay, we, we could cut rates here. Like, we need to focus on the here and now. Long-term solutions aren't the concern. We have a national crisis at hand. Which is true, and his solution for that is to literally do exactly what Trump is currently doing. He'll never admit that, but he described over and over what he would do is he would gather all of the experts in the situation room, just like he and Obama did during the Ebola crisis. When he said that, I was wondering, did this happen to be a meeting of more than 50 people? Because couldn't that be potentially dangerous? You know, you'd think, and after (laughs) all, at the very least, President Trump tested negative on the coronavirus. I mean, but yeah, uh, so he, he doesn't have any terribly innovative solutions, and of course, neither does Sanders. Neither of them have the actual ability to combat a virus, even though um, Joe did come back and say that he wanted to use a metaphor of war to. Yeah. And I, which, like, how do you be at war with a virus? Uh, I just kind of like took the metaphor, just put it in the back of my head, and I'm like, I'm just going to keep 
Rolling with this debate, uh, don't know what that's there for. Just for the record, we're currently at war with terrorism, we're at war with drugs, and we're at war on poverty. So adding a metaphor of a war on oh, virus man. is just like, we have a lot of infinitely unwinnable wars. It's, that a, ta- we- it's a talking <laughs> point. It's just a talking point. And But Sanders, took, he tried to flip that analogy later, too. But for the time being, his response to Biden and his literal response to everything. I was like, ah, 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 wait for it, wait for it. Medicare for all. And, he, and this, what, I can't think of a more perfect time for him to plug Medicare for all than when we're facing a, a global pandemic. And he was like, wouldn't it be great? He, and he's like, don't worry about the cost. We'll find a way to pay for it. And then he's talking about the Fed providing support, which means printing money so that we could pay for this. He, na- he named the number $1.5 trillion. Do you understand that the GDP of the entire United States of America is like, what, is it $22, $23 trillion yes. every year? And we're going to just print one point five of that out of nowhere? Poof. Like, good luck, man. Like, our currency is going to be worthless. Yeah, I'm and- pretty sure the solution here is we need to take a massive loan and federal aid from Venezuela. Venezuela could bail out the United States economy. Or- and this will be perfect. Ourselves, we owe one third of our debt to ourselves. We're just going to owe another one point five trillion dollars to ourselves. And he's talking. He's the one talking about long term fixes. He's like, look, we'll get the money from the wealthy people because the wealthy people could pay for coronavirus. They're just fine, and we'll use that to pay for Medicare for all. Don't worry about the cost. You just need to go get treated. Trump is, you know, suppressing doctors. We need to plug Medicare for all. <laughs> but we're not worried about t- short term solutions. But just in case we are, let's point one. Let's print one point five trillion dollars. Meanwhile, Grandpa Joe is uh, promising us, quote, if you lose your job, you will be made whole. He said that in the first – that was in their early – one of their earlier interactions. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry. That was, a, that was a Bernie quote. If you lose your job, you will be made whole. Uh, Joe had a similar line that he repeated several times uh, about really how people will be made whole, which I thought was fascinating because – uh, they're speaking economically, but what they're actually saying goes so far beyond economics. You'll be made whole. If you lose your job, Ethan, oh. you've been harmed as a person, and the government will provide what they'll is make missing. Me whole. They'll, they'll provide everything you need. I mean, These guys are ready for the government to just step in and give you everything. I saw an interesting video from this one um, – Second Amendment advocate on Instagram. His name's Colian Noir. He's like a huge advocate for the NRA. And he was saying how the current coronavirus situation is reflective of what the pro-Second Amendment movement has been saying the entire time, where you need to rely on yourself and you can't rely on the government for these things. Because the government's not going out handing, you know, food, toilet paper, for that matter, to everyone. (laughs) Instead, they're like, hey, you might want to stock up on this stuff because you're going to be in trouble if you don't take care of yourself. So he was just trying, I I know the Second Amendment's not necessarily related here, but he was trying to draw the analogy between having to take care of yourself and how the government can't provide everything for you. It's like, look, at the end of the day, it's up to you. You're the one that needs to go stock up on stuff. Nobody's going to show up with three rolls of Charmin at your door so you can (laughs) wipe yourself for the next four months. Like, it's up to you. You need to provide. That's hilarious, and I am staring at, since we're recording uh, in the admin office, we've got the lovely poster of the Thales Outcomes, and self-reliance is coming to mind there. That Now, self-reliance is something that neither Joe nor Bernie think the average American needs oh, to be concerned with. you know with. what Bernie did talk about is being a virtuous leader. Leadership was like his main talking oh, point. Oh, man, the did he debate. ever, and he indicted Joe on being oh, a bad man. leader over and He's over like, being again. Being a leader is about being consistent. 
right? And, yep. and get Bernie, I'll give you that. I, you got to give him that. You, and he, he'll use, he's like, you better give me that, better right? Better care for all. I mean, yeah. that was just, he was so he consistent. Said, I voted for this, this, and this. Even when it's losing, I vote for it. And Biden, which was a really interesting dichotomy to draw. Because mm-hmm. Biden's like, look, this is going to win anyways, so let me revise it to make it less bad that it wins. Right. Which seems like a very practical solution. Bernie's more idealistic. He's always been idealistic. Yep. Where he's like, no, this is wrong. I'm not voting for it. Don't care if it's going to win. Like, we're voting on the ideals here. Who's right? Uh, maybe it's just because I've spent most of the season judging congressional debate. I, I had a six-week string where I judged Congress at every tournament. Both of their strategies, I've seen people stand up in congressional debate and use those strategies. Yeah. This bill is not good enough. That's why we fail. Or they'll stand up and say, you know what? This bill is the beginning point of an effective policy. So we pass this bill so that we later can pass additional legislation to fix the obvious flaw. Uh, I saw it was very interesting that both of those came in. Any other thoughts on COVID-19 and that kind of segment of debate? We really ought to move on to there. I, the, I, have I think China we should move next. on. I have national quarantine next. We hit that real quick. Sure. Yeah, yeah. COVID-19. What you got on national quarantine? Um, that was where Biden was calling for a meeting of, of health officials. Yep. He did mention that we refused one. What was it? Like 1.5 million tests or something that the World Health Organization he offered us? He said that. I've not heard that from anyone else. I'm I gonna, would love I to, to know more that. details about yeah, that. Because if that happened... I want to know the rationale behind that. Well, he did say trouble. we refused to buy them. So I mean, I, I thought it was giving. It was not mm, giving. Okay. Mm. So I, I think that would be really interesting because it is the sort of thing that, like, I mean, if I came to your house and said, hey, man, I have a $1,000 test that I could sell you. You're going to need this someday. Well, in normal circumstances, you're going to say no, right? But then the extraordinary circumstance happens, and you seem really silly for not buying my $1,000 yeah. test then. So I... I'd want to know more details. The about main that. thing that occurred here is that you don't need to worry about debating the solvency of anything when you can right. label it national emergency. Yep. Because Biden's like, don't worry about the cause, we'll bail out. And Bernie's saying we'll bail out. Because he's like, we need or I and I get there was this whole thing about he voted against a bailout for Wall Street a while ago and then right, that's right. one of the main reputations to Bernie and Biden mm-hmm. will hit on that pretty hard later. But uh, every, every nobody needs to argue how it's going to work because it's a national emergency. The money is somewhere, whether we need to print it, whether we take it from the wealthy people, right, lower right. interest rates, whatever it's going to be. Infinite money is the Infinite socialist money. dream. Here's the funniest thing that I think Sanders said in the entire debate. This cracked me up. I literally I almost had to pause the TVs because my mom could not hear what was going on. We were watching it together. Was that it was a pay- it was an emotional appeal. And he was like, look, ima-, he turns straight to Biden, just faces him directly. He's like, look, imagine. The wife gets the coronavirus, and then the husband gets the husband gets depressed. He can't get counseling. How are we gonna pay for this? I was like, the wife is the one with the virus, man. And you're that the husband can get counseling. I thought just like, of course, he's talking about treating the wife too, right? Like, and he wants the whole family to be treated. But the way he worded it just killed me. It's like, this poor wife has the coronavirus, and the husband he can't get counseling because he can't pay for his Medicare. That, his that's the real problem here. I mean, he he needs therapy now. Of course. Why is the therapist holding office hours during a coronavirus quarantine? Maybe it's online therapy. Oh, there's yeah. a whole new possibility. Oh, wow. Do you even need to be on your therapist's couch anymore? Just just Skype in. Do it over Zoom like everything else is going now. <laughs> just like school. Uh, apparently. And graduations. Oh, I so hope not. I, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so next up, uh, I, I, the next section I got was a big uh, question on China and are there going to be consequences to China for suppressing information? 
Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Now, um, Bernie came out strong with saying, don't lie to the USA. And that, that, that's really bad to lie to the USA. But then he had a sh- swift pivot to blame President Trump because, of course, for both of these guys, Donald Trump is the existential threat to the United States. Yeah. They both thoroughly believe if Trump wins the election, the United States will cease to exist. But then... Bernie came back, and I thought it was very interesting here. He had He's singing the globalization song, and it's the same globalization song that has so networked the world so that a virus can spread globally really fast. Well, from Bernie's point of view, to solve this, we need to work with China, we need to work with Italy, we need to work with the World Health Organization, and really globalization, increasing globalization, is the answer to a global virus. Are you sure that wasn't Biden's response? Oh, no, or no, both. Bernie okay. started it, and All then right. Joe said the same thing. Um, but Joe has a, uh, he, he's got a bit more of a uh, Team America World Police mindset. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he told us that we need U.S. experts in China. We right. should have sent those in. And the United States has to lead the world. Yep. Now, again, I'm just going to point out, uh, you've got the Progressive Party, which has spent the last decade apologizing for the United States' previous efforts to lead the world, now trumpeting, U.S. must be in charge! I think the reason he said that, there's a small difference in intention there, though, because the Progressive Party apologizing for U.S. involvement is... Toward, it's towards the detriment that the U.S. causes to other countries, but in this case, it's for U.S. benefit. We're sending doctors over there to benefit ourselves. This is not so we can just take care of China, but this is because this is so we can get access to the resources we need to fight the virus at home. Whether it's like the you know the blood plasma that China was sending to Italy so that they could right, right. begin a vaccine, this would have a this would have had a lot of U.S. benefit if we did what Biden said, right? Because then we have U.S. experts in China. We address it a lot faster. We become aware of its severity a lot faster because there was that whole situation with a doctor in China that's like, hey, we might be downplaying this. It's actually kind of bad. All of which is fine, but... The Republicans are the party of the neo uh, the neoconservatives who have been advocating for decades now that the United States must pursue our interest in foreign policy and make the rest of the world do what benefits America. The Progressive Party has been opposed to that. So I just find it very cognitively dissonant and interesting that Biden is over here currently looking like he's going to win the nomination and he's openly advocating for America leading the world in something. That that's the opposite of everything Barack Obama said in foreign policy. Barack Obama's foreign policy was this very soft apologetic. Yeah, yeah. We're sorry. We we messed things up and we we colonized the world and we harmed everyone. Biden's over here like Go America. America will solve your problems. America will lead the world away from the virus land. It's it's just interesting. very interesting. Yep. It's a I mean it's a good talking point. Interesting yep. to see if like if, if he ever did become president, how that would play out. If he would actually take take initiative for the US doing more things. Right? Uh okay. <coughs> Uh, I got the economic recession as their next big talking point. Yes, ec- the whole economic situation. I got yep. that too. Uh so, okay, what, what, what interesting observations do you have about their thoughts on the economic recession? Um, Biden's all about the bailout package. He wants to bail out Wall Street companies. I mean, the New York Stock Exchange has frozen trading two, three times already for 15 minutes. It's like, right, because they've triggered that the too much trading happening too fast. They've triggered that, that system. It's that, but it's also that the stocks are falling so fast. That it's like we can't like stop trading. We can't do this anymore. It's It's – Bad. So we're going to halt trading for 15 minutes just to slow it down by that much because we're losing mm-hmm. that much money. And he also says something about rewarding individuals. Um, 
Do you have anything for that point? What did he mean by that? I did not get that point. What I got him, I got a uh, quote from him that stuck out. He uh, he took another. He took a pot shot at Trump with the uh, quote, the god awful tax cut of one point nine trillion dollars. Which I'll at least point out that I will. I may admit, uh, perhaps I'm biased here. I was benefited by that tax cut. I actually got a tax return uh, right. for the first time in six years with last with the uh, tax cut that went in place. So I, I'm a fan of that particular tax cut. It, it benefited ordinary people. Um, but of course, uh, that that's something positive Trump did. So uh, Biden and Bernie are both going to. Rail on that, yeah. I, di- I didn't get the rewarding of individuals. Yeah, there. The I don't tax, know what he meant by the that. Tax cuts interesting. There's a whole obviously about any cut. There's tons of debate around the tax cut, right? Because people, some people will say it's been really good towards the beginning. It's cost us a lot in the long run because once the government's making less money, we're going to more debt, mm-hmm. and we have China buying our our debt more. We're trading more of our debt away. Um, so I can see the benefit of the tax cut. I'm not entirely convinced that. It's good for the long term. No idea. That's right. that's that's over my head. More research for that, um, which I would totally agree with. Because yeah. I, 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 Trump has increased spending in so many areas, and he's also got this whole tax cut thing going on, which is only going to increase the deficit. So, at long term, that seems very problematic. Short term, I'll take as many tax cuts as I qualify for. We had some very <laughs> axiomatic talk. At the at the latter end of this of the whole economic discussion, right right before the final bailout discussion, where mm-hmm. Sanders is like, we need to tax the wealthy people. It's like you're wondering how we're going to pay for this whole coronavirus thing. Even though I just mentioned that we need the Fed to print a ton of money, we've got the billionaires, as he calls them, at the top of society, where we they can pay for it. Like we just tax the tax the highest tax bracket even more, they're going to pay for everyone else's health care. Yep. And somehow that's solvent. That's fine. If he if he thinks it's solvent, we'll give it to him. But Biden comes next, and he's like, people are looking for results, not a revolution. Are they though? Are they really? Are you sure? Because all of the young people are supporting Sanders. Who is? Are people really not looking for a revolution? Like not like a physical revolution, maybe a financial revolution or an equity revolution, perhaps. This sounded a lot, a lot more like a wider debate than just the coronavirus oh, yeah. oh, or just I mean, and that, the current economic situation. That is the crux of what Sanders is bringing. I mean, he he uh, he's not. Now, I thought it was very interesting. This whole debate, three terms did not show up. Socialist. Did not show up. Marxists did not show up, except in a and not even when they were discussing Cuba and yeah. the Castros. But also communists did not show up. Bernie Sanders is, of course, the avowed democratic socialist, uh, and he is openly advocating for a Marxist approach to the economy that sees the economy in the midst of class struggle. And his programs would effectively bring about a governmental control of the means of productivity, which is the socialist communist dream. So he's Oh, yeah, but that, that's really – that's what I think Joe is trying to do is cast himself as equally progressive as Bernie but not interested in bringing about a Marxist revolution. Yeah, so I, he wants to appeal to Biden's voters without actually committing himself to a revolution. He's just a good liberal Democrat who believes in governmental solvency of issue or governmental solutions but he's not going to try to bring a revolution. Bernie wants, he openly advocates for a total overturning of the existent status quo economy. I'll buy Biden's point. I, I, he's definitely, I would consider him a moderate in the current context of the yeah, DNC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll give him that. He does seem rather moderate. Uh, and all the, and you can see that with his coronavirus suggestions too. 
because, I mean, even Trump put multiple of these things into effect. So it doesn't seem like Biden's offering any plans that would be a radical paradigm shift for the United States. Mm -hmm. But Bernie and, and Biden got on him, too, for endorsing countries like China and Russia for the good things that they've done. Because And he was like, hey, there's a difference between like saying a nice thing about a country every once in a while, but you're totally sucking up to these like communist regimes or state-run right. capitalist regimes. he ignored regimes. all of... And, and Biden I, nailed him on that. He's like, look, yeah. if I can label you as a communist, you're going to lose more of these voters, which I somehow doubt. But at the same time, it might look better for Biden if, if Bernie's labeled as a communist. Oh, Bernie was Bernie had nothing to say about the human rights violations point. Yeah, he, he had nothing, and he really i i thought I thought Biden won the the Cuba discussion hands down because um, <laughs> Bernie had nothing to say about the the Castros and and all, uh, uh, Biden even mentioned the one hundred mil or the uh, yeah hundred million Uyghurs that are imprisoned in um, uh, in concentration camps right now. In China. And he doesn't want that to be U.S. With, no. under Bernie. No, well, like right, he doesn't. He at least, nobody does. Right. Nobody and, does. and that's not to say that Bernie would do that, but yeah. it is it is to say that Bernie has a very specific filter on what parts of these. Uh, he wanted to cast this as an authoritarian regime, but he has. He, he, I, I couldn't really figure out how he was defining authoritarianism. Uh, he didn't really seem to do that at all. Uh, he just seemed to be a really big fan of these countries that can mobilize, that have governments that are strong enough to mobilize people to fulfill policy goals immediately. And and that's the interesting thing is because he Bernie has a great talking point for that now. China, mm -hmm. you had a, a terrible situation with the coronavirus. Did the government mobilize and eventually get it under control faster than the U.S. did? Yeah. I mean, it's more Which, under control now. We have cases being reported in the single digits now in China. So is the government – it's a whole efficiency right. thing. If the government can mobilize – faster, Bernie would say, then we can meet our goals sooner. And, and the with question the case, is at ahead, that point ahead. of like, at what cost? I read a really interesting essay yesterday that came out of, uh, it was a, it was a um, college student in, I think her 20s, uh, who's in Wuhan right now, who described the process of that. The announcement for Wuhan going under quarantine happened at 2 a.m. And there was no... There was there was no concern for kind of how logistically this is going to happen. It's literally done at gunpoint. So at what cost do you have that kind of efficiency? You've got to ignore human the human factor in there. You've got to assume that people will obey commands, and if not, they're going to be shot so for, for in order Bernie, to get that kind of efficiency. Seems like an ends justify the means type thing for me, or as far as Bernie's argument would go. Oh, yeah. Because he, he ignores the on-the-ground level, but from an abstract level, yep. all he sees is that the government's acting quick and we're getting things done. So, mm -hmm. like, I mean, yes, like, people are being held at gunpoint. We're quarantining um, individuals in Wuhan, individuals in China, and now the virus isn't spreading as hard. Like, how far can the government even go? Like, they got the virus under control. I'll give them that. Like, we have infection rates lower, but at what cost? People are at right. gunpoint. We quarant I mean, and then they also had that whole discussion earlier about would you deploy the National Guard to keep people in one place? Like, New York, where we can't let people, we're, we're trying to quarantine um, New York City. Like, would you even be willing to do that? Would you be willing to deploy the military to keep people in one spot in the case of a national quarantine? Have we ever even had a national quarantine? I looked it up the other day. Not that I'm aware of. We've had local and state-level quarantines before, I think, but we've not had national. So who, who stays employed? Store workers to sell stuff to people? And how are those people supposed to get things? 
right? Because you can't leave your house. Right. So are we just having like Walmart delivery just bringing you, you know, Well, but even paper? then you either have, we either need a massively increased drone delivery or you still have to have people who are employed in getting goods from manufacturing to uh, warehouses to the store and then people manning the stores uh, or I, I, at some level, I, I, I don't know. The logistics haven't been worked out yet. Um, I mean, yeah, like, and even if we had, did have an increase in drones, like, who's making the drones? Like, right. Like, it, well, and then what do you do? They're probably not made in the United States, but... Well, like, and then there's that whole concern that's been going around over the last few days about what about uh, how much of our pharmaceutical supply chain is based out of China, and does... And the Chinese government has been openly saying that this means they have leverage over the United States now, because they control some of the chemicals we use to create rare, life-saving drugs. That's a problem. Uh, we, so I, now one of the other big questions in my mind about all of this, and then we probably need to get back to our actual outline, uh, is what happens after all this is over? Let's say we do in fact have all kinds of massive societal change and a massive increase in governmental rule for the sake of the coronavirus. And six months from now, the coronavirus is gone. No one has it. There's now some level of immunity. There's a vaccine developed. And we just know that every year for for about these eight weeks, we're going to have a coronavirus season and we start preparing for it each year. Does everything go back to normal? No, not for a while. I mean, but I mean, in terms of like the law, the legality. Oh, I'm talking economically. Like, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm talking legally, and in terms of like the way our society is structured, does everything go back to normal? You think we or, would establish a precedent, or have we changed something about our polity as a nation from here on out? Do we go back to a constitutional order? Like, and and we, I, I think we could, but I think it's a very open question. Does I, this establish a new normal, or do we have something? Or do we just go back to life as usual now and, and all the governmental emergency powers just go back to the normal state of powers? Do they? But have they been given extra power in, oh, in yeah. course of national – because you can de- you can declare national emergency. Bell I, companies, I, I was looking this up the other quarantine. day because, of course, our school, Thales, is a private school. And I was trying to figure out, does the governor of North Carolina have the ability to shut down a private school? Okay. Obviously, it makes sense to me that the government can make a formal declaration about a public school. What about private school? Uh, at least the general consensus from a very brief internet search and looking at a couple of news articles uh, is that governors have pretty much unlimited powers during public health emergencies and that the laws on the books are from 19th century epidemics. And that means that states can do pretty much whatever they see deemed necessary and that courts will not really find against a state as long as there's not some egregious abuse there. I mean, uh, if, if a state just said, oh, we hate churches, all churches must close during this, but all, everything else can stay open, just churches, well, you might, you probably have a case there. But short of that, it, everything so far that we've had has been under rule of law and has been pretty normal. So I, I, so I think governors, mayors, the president, they all have pretty much extreme power during the state of emergency. But the question becomes, what happens after the emergency? I'm interested in the whole rule of law thing because I'm not entirely con- – because it's, it's a biological hazard. Keep that in mind, which is one one is making the economic situation unique in its own way because the, think of the 2008 financial crisis was a financial crisis. This right. is a biological crisis, right? So no matter how much you bail people out, no matter how much you, you know right. give money out, keep people open, force people to close – 
it's a spread of a disease that you can't pay that off. A vaccine is what's going to help people here. And, and just medical development in general, getting the vaccine to people, making sure it's affordable. Um, so the biological <laughs> hazard makes it unique in and of itself. But the whole quarantine thing seems like an all or nothing situation. Either we have an, a national or at least statewide quarantine, right? Like all of New York quarantined or all of North Carolina, for that matter, quarantined. Because if, if one area isn't quarantined and we have people spreading it like that, may, maybe you've slowed it down. But people are still going to be getting the disease. So it's like everyone stays in their one spot. And if we try to keep it like as careful as possible, not because we have a national emergency or if we have, you know, private schools still open, but public schools closed. Is that really going to help the problem? Not really, because it's, again, biological crisis can't just pay it off. You can't just like do that. Is it a universal thing? Is the rule of law, does it the rule of law necessarily have to be universal? I'm confused as to where we've given people an inch and where they might take it a mile because I where has the government exercised power where they have not been allowed that power before and how did they allow themselves that power right now with the coronavirus situation oh I, I don't I don't know I saw your face like, historical examples yes I was yes, like absolutely. yeah yeah I was like oh man we, we but where get... where have we overstepped our ability to to contain the biological crisis well currently we have I don't think we have I think everything so far that President Trump has done it's has constitutional. been constitutional. Quasi, I mean, he he has stretched the interpretation of the Stafford Act. I was reading about that. He stretched the interpretation of that. The Stafford Act gives access to a whole bunch of money for small business loans. Okay, is what Trump is using it for. But it's it was not intended for that. But that's that's understandable and justifiable. I think um, the but the the interference in like what you don't have. So a lot of this gets into. We should have a separate episode on like constitutional theory. I yeah. should get my buddy Nick Higgins to come on here. He was my history teacher once when I was in high school. Okay. He's now a professor of uh, political philosophy at Regent University. I'm sure he'd be very interesting to interview on the constitutionality of emergency powers. Um, but anyway, so uh, Nick, if you're listening to this, we, we may have to have a conversation about this in, uh, in coming days. Um, but I think it'd be very interesting to – you have because you have to deal with – what we're dealing with is positive, positive power versus a negative power. And I, what I mean by that is positively the president is given certain things that he is permitted to do. Right. And But then negatively there's no prohibition on many things. So is the president able to do – are executive officers able to do anything they're not expressly forbidden to do? You've got two different approaches there. Plenty of people will say, no, the role of the executive is clearly defined and you can't go beyond that. Others will say, in times of extreme change, the executive has to have flexibility and he has to be able to act in unexpected ways. So he needs to be able to do things that he's not expressly forbidden to do. This is also where the Tenth Amendment comes into the Constitution say that any powers that are not expressly reserved or given to the federal government, those belong to the states. Right. Well, how the Tenth Amendment is interpreted is an endlessly interesting subject because that all depends on what states are trying to do and how the courts feel about it and and so on. But this is one of those places where, um, like right now, uh, I have have several friends who are – they are so concerned about the coronavirus that really any of the all of these measures seem to make sense. I have other friends who are very libertarian and they are very conscious of any kind of government overreach. They're really concerned about, okay, if the government has the authority to shut down small businesses in times of panic, 
it's not that hard to imagine a future state where there's not that kind of panic, and then governments say, ha-ha, we were able to shut down all bars then, so we, will, we can shut them down now. Prohibition re-enters the chat. Well, kind of, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, there was this morning, um, there's a, <clears throat> it's not owned by Kid Rock, but it's a Kid Rock bar in, um, in Nashville that refused to shut down when the mayor of Nashville asked them to. And so the refusal of shutting down led to an official statement that every bar in Nashville will be shut down under penalty of law. And these guys are now claiming that's unconstitutional. (laughs) So this is going to lead to a whole bunch of constitutionality questions. Yep. And I can see, I can see potential for overstep and then setting precedent and it's like, Hey, we did it now. Why can't we do it again? Right. It's dangerous. That's definitely dangerous. I will give you that. As, As far as now goes, I'm grateful that we're not there yet. Right. That, that would be bad. And of course, then all of that, I mean, I think this is why I'm convinced that the Democratic Party is making the absolute wrong move in terms of strategy, because Biden and Bernie, either one, are perfectly willing to use the power of the state to its uttermost extreme to rewrite American society as they see fit. The vast majority of American people do not want American society to be completely overturned and absolutely changed and taxed out the wazoo, which is what both of their methodologies will eventually require. Which means that I think ultimately Biden and Bernie have both said that Trump is the existential threat. Yeah. Neither of them offers a viable alternative to Donald Trump as president. So I think if the DNC runs either of these guys, they're handing Trump victory in the next election because Trump is going to be seen as this reasonable rationalist, which for all those who hate Trump, and we're probably finally going to get some hate mail out of this, for all those who hate Trump, they think that's impossible. But if the alternative is Joe Biden arguing for a slightly softer version of Medicare for all, Versus Donald Trump, who will let me keep my health care provider that I choose and not raise my taxes. I'm voting for the guy who gives me more choices on an individual level and won't tax me more. And I think that's ultimately what this election is going to come down to. I know there's people listening to this that don't support Donald Trump. So I'm going to put this, I'm going to lay this out on the table right now. And this is one of the things that I, I don't know if I've said it on the episode before, but I say it to everybody when I, whenever I'm in a conversation about politics. There's a difference between Republican and Democrat and conservative and liberal. There's Very a much so. massive difference between those terms. And I do not identify with Republican, Democrat, like whatever, any of those things. There's value sets, which are liberal value sets and conservative value sets. And then there's parties that you like sign off and join and check on a piece of paper. They're different things. Are there decisions that I can see, viable decisions I see that Trump made? Yes. Are there completely non-viable situ- or decisions I've seen Trump make? Yes. And are there decisions that I see Biden and Sanders laying out that I have no idea what to think about? Absolutely. What, but what I, one thing I do know, especially with Bernie, is that we can't, we can't have – assuming Bernie became president, we'll just give me fiat power here for this. Sure. <laughs> he does – appreciate a lot of things that very very communist nations do and he and i like the way you put it earlier he has a filter for these things right like he'll filter out you know the humanitarian crisis or or all of the problems concerning how the government relates to its people Mm -hmm. and they're like look they got this done they got this done they got this done on an overarching level i think that has negative implications for policies that we're going to put into effect in the united states there's a lot of problems there and i think but i do think that Biden and Sanders, obviously they have noble goals, right? 
we want everyone to have health care. Like, that's Bernie's goal. And how he's going to get money for it, up in the air. But he wants to provide health care for everyone. He wants to provide security for people. Like, we, we want people to be taken care of. Biden's the same way. We want people to be taken care of. Trump is the same way. We want people to ta- be taken care of. Everyone has different ways of getting there. So I, I don't agree with everything from any of any or conservative, or I guess not conservative, any Republican in the party right now, or every, any Democrat in the party right now, which I think is why it's important, just from a note completely aside from this debate, for people to align with value sets more than they align with political parties or what you're going to check on the ballot. So that's why, that's why when I, when you're going to say something about Biden or Sanders, my instinct is to respond with a potential counter argument so we can get closer to the truth with these things. Because it's like, yeah, maybe the government overreach could turn into something bad, but have we seen it being beneficial anywhere? Maybe. Because we can't, I can't, I can't let myself align with anybody, any of these three, Trump, Biden, or Sanders. I'm not going to give them every, I'm not going to give them every inch so that they can take a mile, I guess is what you're going to say. Which, not that this is everything, but I, I think you're sitting right in the spot where uh, Americans generally should be. Okay. Um, as, uh, one of my favorite pieces of, uh, of, of American rhetoric is George Washington's farewell address. And he dedicates, he has two lasting principles in there. The first is don't get involved in uh, entangling foreign alliances. America should do its thing. Don't worry about Europe. Let Europe yeah. do its thing. The other piece, uh, he's, Washington saw, even in, uh, this would have been about 1790, 1789, 1790, he saw parties in his day already overwhelming pe- the party loyalty, overwhelming people's actual political prudence and judgment. And he thought parties were the most di- the biggest danger to yeah. these, this young republic where people would ignore what was actually good and right because their party asked them to. And he thought instead everybody should simply vote their conscience and then govern to the best of their ability regardless of parties. So regardless of party, you should always be willing to put the best person in office. Right. And since then, uh, it's become a... For, for people who are intrigued by political philosophy, uh, I think it's become an ongoing concern that ever since then, political parties have always been the main way we have processed politics in the American experience. So all that to say, I, I concur with your uh, desire to not align with a particular party or see any of the extremes as being where we ought to be. Yeah, that's and that's that's the thing, too, is like, do I disagree with a whole lot of stuff that Biden and Sanders said in that debate? Oh yeah, but if you're if you're disagreeing with it, I'm gonna try to find anything right. viable with that plan because we need we need to. I mean, we've got the the presidency of the United, of the United States at stake here. Yeah, like I mean, whoever wins that, uh, I mean, is it's, with us for the next four years, right? And it's or it's, eight. it's no accident that we tend. Uh, and I'm only 31, but I'm now old enough to kind of see why people do this. We tend to refer to eras in American society by the president. Yep. The president, even though we're not a monarchy, we don't have a nobility, we do tend to use the president, the Biden or the, the Obama, Obama era. administration. Yeah, yeah. The, the Trump era, the era of Trump is kind of people's name for this time period, the Bush years and so they on. They call it Trumpism. Is right. it the whole Trump's philosophy or whatever? Well, let's get back to the, the debate, and we should probably begin wrapping this up. Eco um, stuff. Uh, before we get to eco stuff, I thought it was very interesting. There was a question that was asked to both Sanders and Biden that both of them dodged. Okay. And I think they're, the fact that they dodged this tells us something. They're either being strategic, which is thoroughly possible, or it tells us that they are both blind to a problem with their campaign. 
Uh, Biden was asked, why is your message not resonating with Hispanic voters? Oh, man. Sanders was asked, why is your message not resonating with African-American voters? Neither of them answered the question. They both claim that they are resonating with everyone, and they are both, of course, the perfect candidate with every group in America. But I thought they were very interesting questions. So any thoughts you have on, on those that, that section of the debate? That was interesting. But the part right after that was far more like, and I'll go do this all together too. Are you going to choose a female vice president? Oh, yeah. That was really intriguing. They, Biden said yes, he, that he will. He committed. He's, yes, he's he, on the he's record. He's committed. I, was, I would use the word disgusted to see how the questioners on CNN would turn to Bernie. Like, are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? Because if you don't, if you say no, you're done, basically, right? The, he's finished. Like, it's it's like already Biden's in the lead, right? But he's finished if he does not make that commitment. And you saw him up there struggling, right? Yep. Because now yep. he has to say yes. He can't say no. Do, and this is, like, I know what you're thinking. Like, I'm, I'm looking. I don't know why I'm talking to the computer like it's the audience. <laughs> but I am. Because I'm watching my voice being recorded here. Do I think that there is a perfectly amazing, viable female that could be vice president yes absolutely i do and do i think that it could be a perfectly viable male vice president yes i do and and there was this whole discussion about meritocracy and whatever like is right. at least the underlying discussion choose the best person for vice president like and and if bernie wanted to or bernie or biden for that matter wanted to choose male female no problem with that i'm looking at what the person does not necessarily what their gender is right do not like i was more upset i felt horrible for bernie i was completely with him do not lock someone right. into who they're going to choose for their vice president on live television when they're trying to have a debate my the my biggest problem with these debates is not how the candidates debate. It's what they're being asked by the questioners. I think they're horrible for that. You can't do that to a person. You're, you, Bernie Sanders and Biden do not decide the fate of America based on the vice president. CNN does, right? I'm serious. <laughs> CNN so right. decided it. That I am taking a huge dig at CNN right now. I was so mad when I saw this happen. You locked Bernie Sanders in. You. It's like. It's like, no, are you going to choose a female vice president? No, it's like, you're going to... Or you've lost. And if Biden said no, he would have lost. And granted, that's reflective of who's watching CNN, who's watching the debate, too. They can frame it however they want. The media is a big problem here. I was so disappointed when I watched that. In a more perfect world, what I would love to see, uh, maybe someday, anybody listening, if you become a, an exec on a uh, major news network 20 years from now, please, by all means, steal this idea, make it happen. No need to give us credit, just to make this happen where by the time a party is down to two candidates, instead of it being a Q&A style discussion for two hours, make this an actual policy debate, not spreading because then you lock out 99% <laughs> of the American populace, but uh, make it a policy style debate. Do two rounds back to back two nights where the first night one candidate is AF and his policy is like his vision for America that he will try to enact. And the other candidate is Neg and has to just try and shred that vision and create as much ideological and practical clash as possible. Then the next night, they flip where the other candidate is now AF and runs his vision for America and shred that and then literally take the debate seriously and let the American people choose based on the results. That's where I think these kind of debates could actually have a really positive way of letting people, of giving people the most information about the candidate's real philosophy, political goals, and policy potential, and where and literally 
Make this a truly democratic race where you trust the demoi, the people, <laughs> to actually make a wise choice based on the greatest amount of information available to them. There's an example of a useful etymology that you use. That's it. Finally on the show, you grant me a decent etymological okay. point. That's the, the greatest thing you said in that whole paragraph, whatever it was, it said, like rant, is let the American people choose, right? Not and the American media I have, professionals. I have so much respect for everyone that was on the Democratic debate stage from the first debate up until Biden and Sanders because they're willing to get up there and risk their literal public image in, in front of everyone. Two quick names to mention yes. that I will particularly mention. I would agree with you there. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Amy Klobuchar yes. are two that I just loved. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, uh, a female veteran candidate uh, who just, uh, she spoke very eloquently each time. And Amy Klobuchar, I would love to have seen be an actual national contender because she's a sincere, uh, well, well-spoken moderate. Would have been great. Uh, every time she spoke, like, okay, I can see why you would think that given your circumstances. She doesn't really like guns, but every time she spoke, she recognized her constituency in Minnesota really likes hunting yeah. and so on. You can see the actual moderate thought process there. Oh, yeah. And, and for um, Klobuchar, Gabbard, everyone on that stage, so much respect. And just for the bravery that it would take to get in, up in front of the media and be like, look, every time that I walk onto this stage, my image could be completely ruined. Everything that I say is being recorded and will be held against me in a later debate or by a candidate later. And it, literally everything I've ever done will be held against me on this stage. Also, any teenager who wants to splice together random sound bits from Anderson, or like, I'm looking at you. I know you're not listening to this. I know you don't listen to this podcast, but I, I know you're, that I'm thinking thinking of you right now but and, and i and it was just that was the worst cnn moment i've probably had is i'm watching cnn and i'm seeing them close just completely trap bernie sanders in this trap it's like will he win probably not i mean biden's ahead and trump's probably even more ahead for that matter but you can't you can't do that to a person like this is this is we're deciding on and look if if bernie would never choose a female for vice president that's biden's job to nail him on that if that's a viable point to nail him on like this is a debate right between the debaters not the judge or not the questioners and the debaters like we're supposed to be watching this write down the questions for all i care it's like you're those people questioning are designed to literally guide the debate as far as time restraints go and maybe topic, but not about locking in who's going to be vice president, right? Right. Because – and you saw that Bernie w felt and looked completely forced to do that. He it's did. Like, and he didn't – he did not commit. He did – he took the only way all out. In all probability, yes, Right, 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 which said. is a giant way of him saying, yeah, I'm going to pick whoever will most help me defeat Donald Trump. That's, that's what he was doing there. And even then for Joe, that was not a um, – uh, that was not a novel commitment. I was listening to Al Mohler's yeah. uh, briefing podcast. He explained that uh, since 1984, there have been several candidates with female vice president pairings. So this is nothing new. Um, okay. Now, there were a bunch of tiny issues that were thrown in at the last minute. Um, I was really surprised. Women's health got like 30 seconds. Uh, immigration got about five minutes. Mm -hmm. Sanctuary cities was a really odd thing in there. Which, just for the record, 
uh, and, and this is another one we might get some hate mail for. I'm just going to go on our podcast saying that if you are wanting to be president of the United States, whose stated constitutional goal is to execute the law of the land, which is literally what the president is supposed to do. He's not supposed to make you whole. He's not supposed <laughs> to fill that emotional void in your soul. That's, that's, that's Medicare some, for all. That's, that's someone else's goal, job to do. It's not the president's job. The president should not be willing to literally go on national TV and defy the law of the land, which is what both of these guys did when they were asked about sanctuary cities. And they both then went in saying that they would literally support cities that are in open contradiction to the laws passed through Congress, signed by the president that are the law of the land. Be specific. Be specific with those. No, literally, that's yeah, what the, the, sanctuary, yeah, yes. the, the sanctuary cities As in we discussed. promote sanctuaries. Yeah. yeah. They okay. were, and they were, uh, they were saying, the question was, should undocumented aliens be turned over to ICE? People who are here in violation of the law of the land, should those be turned over to the established, recognized immigration officials? No. And here's the answer to both. Here's my question for you there. To figure out where the real fundamental or ideological issue is here. Is it the fact that there that there is law breaking happening because if the law changed it will it, like just let's just say we let anybody into the country sure now it's fine right because right. we're following the law so your problem is not necessarily an immigration problem Correct. it's the fact that we're defying a law that's in place and we're trying to and that the, the person law. who is trying to become the chief enforcer of the law which is what the executive is right. the one who wields the executive power doesn't just get to do whatever he wants his job is to execute the law passed through the legislative branch of the US federal government and so if you're trying to become that, you cannot be an open contradiction of the law as written in right. this, so in this yeah, I can I actually can't – I can see – well, I can see hate mail for anything. But I can't see necessarily like valid or logical hate mail for that, right? Because as long as you support upholding the law, that's the current law yeah. that's in place. Uphold then you it. should or advocate you, for changing the law, which exactly. they of course both do. But you cannot advocate for – openly defying rule of law and then say, well, we're just going to change the law as well and get rid of what all is, immigration status. And what is Bernie saying here? Because he's saying, or and the CNN did make sure to ask, like, does this mean, like, if you're willing to do this, does that mean that we just ha- can have open borders? And Bernie's like, no. no. I'm like, so what does that mean? Does If you happen to get in, That's then you can stay? That's a huge contradiction. Like, if, if you just happen to get in, then we'll, we'll stay. Like, obviously, there, there's something wrong with immigration policy right now. Because, like, it, on either side. Right. Because if you think not enough people are coming in, then either legal immigration needs to be easier, open borders, whatever position you take on that, or, or, or the opposite. We could, we could say that we need to let, let less people in on both sides of the spectrum. There's reform right. to be needed. And first of all, to, to plug one person who talked a lot about immigration policy, who was very well read on immigration policy, was Pete Buttigieg. He made that a huge issue for his debate. Mm-hmm. He did his research, and he had all the facts down. So if props to him for actually wanting to confront fundamental problems in the system. He was he was at least pointing to the issues where they needed to be solved. Right, but the way not to do this is to frame frame this as an issue of xenophobia for starters, which is where Joe went. I got him as a direct quote, quote, xenophobia is a disease. Two problems here. He's framing all concerns with immigration as being concerned with a fear of the outsider, which yep. is where, again, to go back to etymology, you've got xenos is the, the stranger and phobia is fear. Okay, so good xenophobia etymology. is the fear of the stranger. Well, no, people who live in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas near the southern border, they have very legitimate concerns with what happens when you have a system flooded by people coming across the Mexican border illegally. 
we have there are legitimate concerns about what happens with hospitals, what happens with schools, what happens with social security benefits, all of which are being given to illegal aliens who are not contributing to the system. There's legitimate questions about policy there that are open for discussion and need to be resolved. Framing that all as a matter of hatred and fear is itself a huge problem. But then there's no way this is a disease. There is no yeah, way you, know you catch xenophobia like through transfer of germs. Coronavirus is a disease. Coronavirus right? is yeah. a disease. <laughs> you want to talk about disease. You already had half the debate to talk about disease. We're going to talk about xenophobia I, as a disease. Yeah, it's and not a disease. One thing for Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, big advocate for raising minimum wage, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're having more people come to the United States and then the whole like or Republican outcry is like they're taking U.S. jobs, but Bernie's somehow going to pay people more while having a – so we're going to have a larger supply of workforce – but then where's the demand come from, right? So, like, the, the, that doesn't line up here. Well, demand comes from uh, completely overturning everything Medicare in our economy. No, no, no. The Green New Deal, man. Oh, People boy. People started advocating Green New Deal, and we're going to replace the electrical wiring of every building in this country, and we're going to give everybody jobs to redo everything. $15 an hour. Look, so, and there's, as far as immigration policy goes, it's proven over and over and over that immigrants are, uh, what, it's like more more than 50% of Fortune 500 companies are CEOs, are immigrants, right? Right. It's like, obviously, immigrants are massive contributors to our society. It's like, how do I get more of that, right? Because we're prospering off of this. And, that, of course, those are legal immigrants, right, or as far as the CEOs go. But, so there's tons of reform that probably should happen with immigration policy if we want our economy to flourish, especially looking at how our economy is now. We're in trouble, right? Because of coronavirus, oil cuts, whatever you want to call it, or whatever you want to label it as. But I guess we should move on to the the ecological thing. Now, before we do that, since you mentioned that, let's just note one other contradiction. Okay. You cannot simultaneously advocate for really stringent coronavirus healthcare (laughs) regulations and policies and advocate for open borders. But he said he did it. I know. I think he is arguing for that, but he doesn't think he is. I know, but their their positions on those are actually obviously self-contradictory. Very contradictory. I agree. So that so, okay. Let's let move on in. then to climate change because the specific question, which again, both neither neither of them addressed the question that was asked. The question that was asked was how do we deal with the rise of diseases in an era of climate change? And unfortunately, Grandpa Joe and Socialist Bernie are both records. They're old enough to remember the era of record players and records, uh, and they both just played their records about climate change as soon as the question yeah. <laughs> included the phrase climate change. So, what, do you, what, what did you make of their responses on climate change? I liked I liked Biden's response better for this one. I Bernie, uh, I think he had some good talking points throughout the debate. Like, I see your face too. But, I'm looking at my note about the beetle infestation on his. Okay, that's that was funny. But, I, yeah. I went and looked that up. Did you Did you see? Did you saw when he talked about? Yes, the beetles? I saw that. Okay. What at least I found on a beetle infestation in 2017, there was a journal article that published a study about the migration of beetles north, and they project that this will destroy pine forests in New England by like 2050. Too specific, man. You're talking to the I whole know. U.S. population. When he, he talked about disease in the nor- in northeast and the beetle infestation, I was like, what is going on? You know Where what, are I, all the beetles? You know what, Joe Biden? I'll go to JoeBiden.com right now. And we're going to, like, so he, he posted, everyone posted their whole agenda, right? Yeah. Like, Bernie's whole agenda is posted. Oh, look, I could choose a donation amount, too. Ah. To. You also, can, post- can, we, uh, can we also donate money to give someone to Bernie to fix his pronunciation? Oh, no. I, I, I loved his instruction. Everyone go to the YouTube right now. When you go to the YouTube, you can see Joe's record on the YouTube. Oh, The man. YouTube killed me. That, it was so yeah. great. So anyway. Biden 
and I'm talking like economically here for the right. plan. Biden over a trillion dollars, Bernie like what thirty something trillion dollars. Infinite so, like, money. Bernie's lost all respect for solvency here. So it, that's like I'm like look. You have great ideals, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice to live in a perfectly energy-efficient Earth, have everyone has Medicare for all, and then you've you've fulfilled the soul of every human being single-handedly, right? Yes. Like, thank you, Bernie. That's what the government does. It fulfills our souls. It fills no, that's our not pockets. The, no, no, no. That's what Bernie does, not what the government does. Bernie is the government, right? Or will be, won't be. But um, the the real the real thing to think about here is biden's plan and cnn asked him is your plan even rigorous enough man because like bernie's got this beautiful 30 trillion dollar plan yours is only one point what seven what five something right not enough not enough trillions it's like, joe it's, it's not need enough to spend more money joe. Enough, joe why are you worried about solvency we're worried about the u.s economy here spend the money joe need more money joe yeah but but they were like joe is like we can't just worry about this like you know or I, maybe sanders said this we can't just worry about fixing you know building a couple more you know, wind windmills or whatever, or, or solar panels, we're looking for a whole shift. And everyone, and they're talking about, why do people do this? When they're like, and they cite the all of these organizations that are like, climate change is the single worst problem humanity has to deal with right now. I'm like, really? Because you just spent half the debate on coronavirus. You yep. spent half the debate on, I mean, obviously all the more minor issues were like three minutes long. But national quarantine, coronavirus, all of this Which stuff. Which for the record, if if if... So if climate change is our greatest issue, that means racial equity is not our greatest issue. Uh, women's equality is not our greatest issue. Um, prison reform and social justice issues, all of those things are really, they pale in comparison. Climate change is the issue. So everything else has to fall to the altar of climate change, which Bernie now, not Joe's at war with coronavirus. Bernie is at war to solve climate change. But Bernie is, is I'll give him this, is smart when he, because Bernie is the perfect example of a debater that debates the world, not world school format, the world's idea, right? In Bernie's world, we have this. Biden doesn't do that. Biden is a very, he's more meticulous than Bernie. He's like, we need to do X, Y, and Z for the coronavirus. We need to do X, Y, and Z for national quarantine. Here's where I stand on this. Here's where I voted before. Bernie's a, he's idealistic and he's like, in the Bernie world, affirmative world, negative world, in the Bernie world. Every problem, once we make a fix here, it enables us, it equips us to make another fix here, another fix here. It's like, look, if we tax the wealthy, then we'll, we'll be enabled, empowered to make a fix with climate change. Why? Because we have more money, right? We'll be able to make a fix with Medicare for all because we'll have more money. It's like, look, rich people are rich. They can't pay for, cli- for re- climate change reform. They can't pay for Medicare for all. They can't pay for every single policy, like his whole agenda. It's like, we have money. We don't have that much money. Like, no, rich people don't have that much money. All The entirety of the American people don't have that much money. Like, so he's like, we need to be rigorous. But every fix that Bernie offers enables, or at least in theory, enables a fix in a different area. So if, if you're voting for Bernie, you're voting for a world where everything gets fixed in a very trickle-down kind of, or trickle, not, I, trickle-down is a horrible word for that, for Bernie. Trickle-down process. Ronald Reagan just rolled over in his grave since you just connected trickle-down to Not that Bernie kind of trickle-down. But that was Ronald's phrase, man. That was Reagan's phrase. Now, two things there, and we, we really have to start wrapping this up. because if I've enjoyed this. I have too. This has been like... Plus, also, we're both on track out, and I feel like we're doing, we've got a better flow going this episode than we have our last six. So we'll, we'll yes, see if our numbers agree flow. with us. Now, uh, two things there. First, um, I, I, we can't talk about this without at least mentioning 
Um, the fact that Bernie's were, I, I love that you framed it in world compared to comparative worlds. Cause that seems to fit with what they went to in closing statements. Yeah. There, there are two worlds that both have agreed. They have a common principle. Uh, the common principle is beat Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever world you vote for beat Donald Trump. So they, they've at least agreed to back each other, no matter who gets the nomination, but they do have two very different worlds. And it, in Bernie's world in particular, his methodology of taxing the rich we can't mention this without also noting that the way the American economy is set up, I think I, I have yet to be persuaded there is any other way to realistically do this. Those who gain immense wealth in the American capitalist free market system, they gain their wealth by creating the opportunity for other people to rise economically. Um, I, I work for a guy who has made multiple millions of dollars in the uh, – uh, in the. Um, Oh, goodness. It's a uh, kitchen, kitchen ventilation yeah. equipment space. His multi-million dollars turn into a company that employs over 500 people and then allows him to philanthropically create, so far, three schools that employ an additional 500 to 1,000 people. His success is connected to the success of 1,500 other people. Right. Jeff Bezos is ridiculously rich. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of people who have profited because he created Amazon. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, same story. So when you hear Bernie Sanders talk about the billionaires are being so blah, 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 the billionaires are creating the opportunity for everyone else to rise. So when we tax the billionaires, we literally destroy these individuals who are the economic engines propelling the rise of the U.S. economy. That's, that's a very interesting point. I think Amazon's the greatest example because you have direct employees of Amazon. You I have, have, a, I have a, a sister-in-law who works for an Amazon factory. Oh, and yeah. She, she actually like really enjoys working for Amazon. It's a, it's a great company. You have direct workers. You have delivery workers. Now you can sign up on an app and be an Amazon delivery person yourself. It's like, it's like Uber Eats except – Amazon delivery person, you can, and all of the FBA sellers on Amazon, most of the people who sell on Amazon aren't Amazon. Amazon right, just recommends right. its products over all the others. But you go and drop ship it from China, upsell it for $10 more, and then you're a millionaire. That well, but then you've so got much. all the people who invest in Amazon through their stock op, through their stock sales. <laughs> Not me. I can't afford stock, I can't afford one share I know. Amazon. If only I bought Amazon when they did their IPO, and, oh, I'd be so rich now. Yes, but Amazon is a prime example. Bernie's his claim, his call there is, but there's room for abuse at the top. And his main example, one of his main examples, besides like all the other ones, is drug companies, right? That they're like profiting off of this. Drugs are expensive. It's like, look, am I am I going to make the broad, overarching, omniscient claim that there's not room for abuse anywhere? No. Has there been massive success with Amazon and all these other billionaires? So let's yes. take that. Let's take that. Let's take Big Pharma for just an example. Take Big Pharma. And yeah. let's say Bernie's right, and there are a few people who make billions of dollars. Well. Below those few people make billions of dollars, there are the actual scientists who are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for research. Now, uh, I know a family at our church, um, the wife in this family, uh, she and her husband have two kids. They, she works for a big pharmaceutical company. I won't name them, uh, but it's based here in Raleigh, but they have a, they're a multinational big pharmaceutical company. She makes a boatload of money. Well, that enables them to purchase a big house in Raleigh, so they pay 
income, they pay taxes to Wake County for that big house. They send their children to one of the most expensive private schools in the area, which then allows teachers to have to work for that school. So the fact that there are people making tons of money doesn't mean that like everybody who makes all that money is Scrooge McDuck sitting in their bank vault with thousands of gold coins, just like, ha, 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 look at me. I am hoarding all of my money and harming yep. the poor. What it means is that the people who have all that money can go buy really nice cars. They can buy boats. They can buy land. They pay the taxes that pave our roads. And they then, when they buy that really nice car, they trade in their old car, which is then sold to me, who can never afford a really nice car, unless all of those listening to this episode go sign up for our premium episodes. If enough of you do that, then I'll buy a really nice car. I, I, bought a really, I bought a really nice trip to Defy Gravity with my proceeds from all of last year. Yeah, so. I know, I know. So anyway, but the the when the wealthiest at the top do really well, they end up passing down their no longer as good stuff that becomes a whole secondary market. Another place this happens is the furniture market, because Ethan, I assume you have not bought furniture for yourself yet. Nope. Actually, no one... every time, but we, my mom bought a nice couch, and every time I sit on the same side of the couch, it gets dented when I play yep. Xbox, so she's making me sit on the right side yes. of the couch now, because we're trying Couches to make it Couches nice. are so expensive. Like, a nice couch costs $1,000. Yep. And so few people starting out in uh, adulthood who are living outside of their parents' house, they can't afford real furniture. Uh, they buy the college furniture that Target sells until, or they buy used Ikea. stuff, or they go to Ikea, or they buy used stuff until they're now in their 40s and 50s, and now they're economically at a point like, for years, we've always wanted matching furniture. Now we're going to sink $3,000 into a matching sofa, loveseat, coffee table combo. Well, they then can sell their old stuff that then recycles through the economy. All that to say... Bernie Sanders is spreading this narrative that the billionaires at the top have all this money. The billionaires at the top are critical to the rest of the economy working. We just need to cut the last 12 minutes of the episode and make it the fundamentals of capitalism and just a separate episode. We probably should, but no, we really should just we're do a whole other episode for that. Okay, closing statements. I'm going to narrate this, then I want your thoughts, then we got to wrap this thing Let's up do for it. real. All right, Sanders came out strong. He repeated his vision one more time in his last 90 seconds. He told us, if you vote for Sanders, all your medical costs will be covered. Uh, there is, you should know there is help out there if you get the coronavirus. But then he made a swift pivot. We need to ask ourselves in the era of COVID-19, how did we get here? How did we get to the point where there is massive income inequality and there is a massive failure of our medical system? And we need to ask that crucial question, who has power? Answer, the rich. If we tax the rich and we vote for Bernie, then we will give all the power to the little guy and we'll take it away from the rich and the few. Biden came out and he really went all in on two final points. So to keep with the comparative world structure, Bernie is advocating for a socialist world where we need a revolution to bring about a new reality. Biden is not advocating for a revolution. He wants a world where economic security is there. So he too, without revolutionizing everything, he promises that we will create more income equality and all of your COVID-19 expenses will be covered. But the primary thing that we need in this new world, the world of Joe Biden, is to get rid of Donald Trump and replace him with Joe Biden. So both of these guys are promising a vision of societal salvation, and it begins with demonizing Donald Trump and divinizing themselves. If you vote for the new God, whether it is God Joe Biden or God Bernie Sanders, you too can help overthrow the demon Donald Trump. That's their message. 
vote accordingly. Wow, that was quite a statement. I'm going to take a, a slightly different approach, but I agree with a lot of stuff that you said. <laughs> um, Bernie is totally advocating for a revolution, whatever type of revolution is up in the air, whether it's like a physical revolution, doubt it, financial revolution, more likely. Um, and Biden comes out with very pragmatic solutions, attacking small, you know, little points in the U.S. economy where we're going to look for some changes. Um, I'm, he's kind of missing a little bit of that rhetoric that Pete Buttigieg had with fixing fundamental problems in the system, um, which which I can understand because a lot of this is about COVID-19. It's like we need to focus on the immediate rather than the long term. So I can see that he didn't really get a, a lot of opportunity opened up for him based on the debate topic. The biggest takeaway from this debate is that you've got two people going against Donald Trump. And the most essential thing to maintain here is your own ability as an individual to think. Because that what CNN did, especially with the female vice president thing, was eye-opening. And it, I, literally jaw-dropping to me, right? It's like if, if having a female vice president is a specific concern for you as a voter, the, deba the debaters on the stage should be discussing that point and convincing you who should get what, right? If, if Biden wanted to nail Bernie on that point, I'm all for it. Because either it says something about Bernie's agenda slash character or Biden's agenda slash character. I have no problem with that debate whatsoever. What I do have a problem with is CNN locking a, a candidate in a position to have to say yes to something in order to to get votes or, or whatever their whatever their goal is there. CNN acting as... It's the, as the one that locks people in or is forcing them to do something, right? Your, your, ability, your job as a voter is to think critically and to think for yourself. And the, the biggest issue here is the media portraying things in a different way. A lot of people say that the coronavirus situation would not be as bad if it weren't for the media scaring people. And everyone's saying that it's a media scare, which confuses me because like if everyone knows that it's a media scare, why are we so scared? Whatever. It, the bottom line is you need to think for yourself. And that whole moment with CNN just frustrated me. You can't lock someone in. Let the debaters debate. Like debate reform for the DNC would be one of the greatest things for this whole for their whole campaign, and eventually for the the GOP for their campaign later. So think for yourself. We've got Bernie arguing for a worldview, Biden arguing for pragmatic changes, and Trump being the ultimate opponent to both of them. And whoever you vote for, obviously up to you. Just maintain your own ability to think. Don't let the media scare you. Don't let the media push you. Don't let the media push them. Just vote for them on their own policies. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode of What's the Res? Uh, Ethan and I have, give, have uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, discussing the uh, hopefully last debate between uh, these two uh, uh, primary candidates. Uh, we'll soon enough be down to a single opponent, and uh, whether it is Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing whichever of those gets the primary nomination go up against Donald Trump in a debate. That will be a very interesting debate for sure. Uh, we'd love to know what you thought of this episode. I have a feeling that we managed to offend just about everybody in the DNC one way or another with our take on it, uh, possibly people in the GOP with our take on it. So uh, we'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Ethan, how can folks get in touch with us if they want to let us know what they think? If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at whatstheres at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S -E -E at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstheres underscore or check out our website. That's www.whatstheres.com. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth. You're so gifted, you're so smart. And